Lit Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Now, you may not have heard of the guitarist Mike Brown, but you will have certainly heard some of his music. He's played for everyone from the award-winning gospel artist Donnie McClurkin to pop superstars, including George Michael. Mike Brown was brought up in the church, fell into music, fell out with God, and ended up leading prayers every day for one of the pop industry's biggest superstars on a world tour. He talks to me, Charmaine Noble McLean, about his life story and the challenges of being a musician in the Christian and secular music industries. But first, let's hear what he's got to offer. Brown, you grew up in a church-going family, and the track you've just played for us there, a very famous uh, Andre Crouch track, uh, Take Me Back. So we want to take you back mm. to the very early years of your, I guess, ministry, your music, your life. Okay. Um, <coughs> you grew up in a church-going family. I did. What are your earliest um, memories? My earliest memories is my dad, um, who was pastor, the late Reverend Brown, he passed away about uh, ten, 10 years ago now. No, 10, is he two? Yeah, 11 years ago now. And um, when I was growing up, um, we grew up, because um, he was a pastor, obviously we had to go to church. So we had to go in the church van, which was very cold. And um, by the way, I've got seven brothers and sisters, six brothers and sisters. So you're the seventh? No, no, I'm the third. Okay. Out of the seven of us. And um, all of us is quite musical. Um, one and two of us went on to be quite, um, quite world famous. Well, my sister did, and um, yeah. who's your sister? Oh, she, her name is Failing Brown, and um, she had a big hit with Love Station called Oh God, can't, can I remember it? Oh, I can't remember <laughs> it anyway. But she in the nineties, she was quite big on yeah. the house scene. I mean, she travelled the world and stuff like that. But she's a devoted Christian now, and. Mm. You know, she's back in church. Not that she left, but, you know, sometimes you're diverse and do different things. We have a journey. You have a journey, that's (laughs) right. So anyway, um, uh, yeah, growing up in the the church, it was very difficult sometimes because when my friends was playing out, we weren't really allowed to play out. We had to be inside, you know, reading Bible, you know, doing the instruments and stuff like that. By the way, my dad plays guitar and my mum used to sing. So, you know, we grew up in a house where my dad would get his guitar out and, you know, we'd have worship as you know it now, but yeah. it wasn't worship then, it was more devotional. Mm. And, um, you know, he would play and, you know, my mum would sing and we would sit there and think, oh God, this is boring. But, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, it was good for us because dad, you know, decided that, you know, what, I'm going to teach everybody to play the guitar. So all my family can play an instrument or guitar at least. Mm. Yeah, so our early days was more about... um 
more about playing the guitar and playing an instrument and making sure you're good. You know what I mean? Because so church, church played a massive role in your life. Yeah. Your dad was a, is a church leader. That's right. Uh, he was a musician. Your mum mm. was a singer, like you say. There yeah. were seven of you in total. That's and, right. And life was church. That's right. Pretty life much. was church. <laughs> you know what I mean? We didn't know anything different. You know what I'm saying? Um, well, eventually, my dad became a pastor. And so that kind of dynamics changed the home scene because obviously him being a pastor now, that meant, and my mum being a pastor as well, meant that they had more responsibility. Mm. So all we had to do is make sure that we turned up to church and played the music. <laughs> that was our responsibility, you know, which we did for what, a little while. What was it like being the pastor's you know? kid? Um, it was hard because you had to set examples. You know, my dad was very much into, you know, everybody's watching you kind of thing. And... um you know, he was very much on that role Like you, you had to make sure you had to be an example in terms of a Christian. Mm. But, you know, growing up, you want to be like everybody else. But he was like, I hear you, but you need to be going down this road. So he kind of drilled in all of us the Christianity or the sense of God. No matter what you're doing, make sure that God is the centre of your life mm. first. And um, so, yeah, so he became a pastor. And I remember um, when I was 13 was um by the time I could play this time I could play quite reasonably and I remember um Shirley Caesar coming to our church back in the 70s it's a massive name in the gospel world yeah and um at 13 years old her guitarist didn't come so at 13 years old who did you think they called to play the guitar for not little Mike little Mike wow. yes so me and my brother the bassman didn't come so my older brother older brother junior so me and him had to sit on the bass with these American guys you know shouting at us going man go to the four go to the six go. we was like four six what's that <laughs> you know because back then you didn't really learn to read music yeah. you know now I can you know get through the reading and stuff but back then you know it was just all by ear yeah and um, so, yeah, so that so, was... So when, when you... Was it your dad that said to you, son, you've got to go and play? Well, yeah, he was the pastor of the church, did, him and another... Did, did man, you so. realise how significant a moment that was? Did you realise how big she was? Or was it just, oh, great, I've got to go and do this again? No, I... Um, in in fact, it was an excitement, but mm. I didn't realise how big she was because back then, you know, I was quite young, so I didn't really understand yeah. the dynamics of who was this in gospel and who was that. All I knew is that she was coming to our church. She was a big-time singer with the caravans, I think it was, mm. and, you know, she had a few songs out at the time, and I thought, OK, well, she's coming and it's convention, so I'm going to go there and I'll play. So we played. And um, yeah, it was it was really good, you know. So that was my first kind of introduction to playing. After that, um, I ended up getting a scholarship for music in school, and um, to go to Royal Academy of Music. And how old were you then? I was sixteen mm-hmm. by then, and uh, my dad hid it because he wanted me to be a building contractor. He used to say, "There's no money in music. You're just there for the church." And anyway, he hid it for six months, and I remember. Um, I was doing, I was on a business course in college and I was doing well and I remember I found it in his wardrobe but when he day he said Michael go and get me one of my jackets and I went in there and I saw it, the letter fell and it had my name and it opened it and I started to cry. I said oh my god I got this scholarship and you know obviously it was too late because it was six months down the line and then I, I got really angry and then I decided that I needed to get into a music college. I looked up and saw that they had a music course there, jumped onto the music course. And um, in jumping onto the music course, I left the business course, didn't tell my mum and dad, you know, carry deception in my, my house, which was very hard for me because 
I always grew up being honest. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I was de deceptive to them, you know, which was very tough for me because they say, how was college? Fine. What did you do today? Oh, nothing much, mum. You had the busy thing going fine, knew, knowing that I was on the music course. You know, and um, did did any did your siblings know your brothers? Oh, and they sisters? knew. They oh yeah, and they, they kept knew. a lid they on it for you. They kept a lid on it for me. Yeah, they knew. Did you? Were you still feeling resentful about the fact you had a kid? You were quite I angry was, with him. Yeah, then. I was. But um, so anyway, um, in in college, that's where I met quite a lot of musicians. So while I was in college, um, I remember uh, Bishop Francis from Rurac. John he Francis. Came, yeah, John Francis. He came. And he um, he was starting his choir, which was uh, inspirational choir, and so that was my first tour. So, so he came and asked my mum oh. if I could go on tour with him, and, and she was like, "Okay, but you make sure you look after him and all that," because it was still church. She was fine with that, yes. you know what I mean. So I went, and that was my first experience of you know getting paid mm. as a musician, mm -hmm. you know. And it was I think it was fifty pound then back then. A, a session, which was, you know, a 17-year-old boy. That's, That's big great money. money, you know what I mean? <laughs> so you know? at that point, you're 17, you're out mm. on tour with a, you know, a very well-known church leader, John Francis, mm. and his emerging choir. Mm. You're touring the country, getting a bit of cash as well. Yeah. Uh, you've got a, a shady thing going on with the college. <laughs> so you, your parents think that you're a business, you're mm. studying business, but you're at another college doing music. Mm. Where were you in terms of your journey with God at that point? You know, were you... I, I was... I was in a place where I wasn't confused, but I was in a place of searching. Mm. Because up until that point, um, I've got kids. I've got two kids. I've got a son and a daughter now. And I teach them how to engage with God for themselves. At that point, my parents didn't teach us about engaging. As far as they were concerned, we're giving you the word... You're supposed to, you know, know the word for yourself and, you know, so you'd ask questions, they'd explain it, but they didn't tell you how to engage. You hadn't really experienced a personal relationship. No. It was more an abstract. That's there right, is God. Yeah. It's yeah. a good thing. So, yes, yeah, so I was in the choir and, you know, obviously we pray and we jump and mm. all that. And that was great, too. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, I'm used to that. And I thought, but I was still in a place where I was like, well... I'm not too sure who this God really is, but I'm going to follow anyway because mm. that's what dad says to do. By this time now, everybody in college was starting to get record deals and stuff was happening. So this is where my life now becomes, you know, this is where I enter into the secular mm. side of music now because I, I, I found that I became the top guitarist in college. You know what I mean? So being the top guitarist in college meant that there was lots of opportunities. Opening up for you, people were asking you to you. do stuff. Right. Well, let me just let's just stay with church for a minute, mm. and we'll talk about your your foray into the world of pop music um, a little bit later, mm. um, because you established yourself as as you say, a primary guitarist mm. in the music industry um, fairly quickly in your you know your late teens, mm. but uh, in terms of the church world. You know, your encounter with Bishop John Francis, that must have really propelled you in terms of 
experiencing and working with gospel, the gospel music industry. Oh yeah, yeah, it did at did, that did, time. Did, so, yeah, you know, because we did um, we did theatres. You know, we did a lot of stuff with LCGC as well. London Community you know, Gospel yeah, Choir. London Community Gospel Choir back yeah. back then. There was a massive theatre production, uh, Mama, I want to sing. Oh right, you were involved in that. That yeah. was later. Yeah. But um, but then you know, just to name drop a few people, Donnie McClurkin's live album yeah, that in was London later on, eh? again, um, and working with um, Helen Baylor's. And mm. Alvin Slaughter's people like that. What was that like for you? What was that okay. like working well, with these, these people? What happened is that um, I ended up being signed as a as an artist with a band called Roachford. Roachford, I met at college, so we were good friends and stuff. So he's and like he a. Was, I remember Roachford. He was yeah, like a rock pop. That's right. Artist. Right. So the I'm the, the original guitarist from there. Yeah. Right. So we got, we got signed to CBS back in the day. And, um, well, I, had, I caught pneumonia Wow! while I was going on the journey. And so I was out for, I think, six weeks. And in the contract then, you know, it said if you was out for a certain time, they could get someone else, yeah. which they did. It's business. Cut, yeah, it's just mm. business. But cutting a long story short, that's when I had my encounter with God. Mm. Because everything around me begin to, began to fall away. So, you know, the things I had, the house, the cars, the this, the that, you know what I mean, that I'd had acquired, they now began to fall away. And it was like, it was just me, you know what I mean? And I I remember being in the hospital and God saying, I've chosen you to do a Pacific work when I was in the hospital at the time. And I was like, and it was a thundery night. Never forget it. The thunder was clapping, the trees was knocking down everything. And I was in this private hospital and I heard the God's voice clear I've chosen you to do a Pacific work and I was like I hear you but who's this you know what I mean so that was the first time I actually heard the voice of God anyway after that and falling away from Rochford and stuff like that losing everything what do you think he meant what what at that point what do you think this mystery voice was meaning by this specific work that he wants you to do well at that point I I I was in a place where all I was thinking about was the record deal, the contract, getting back to my job, getting myself well again, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. Yeah. So my head wasn't even in God's business. It was in the world's business. Mm. And what was your parents' reaction to your that agree, you know, when you as you said, the first big thing you got signed to was uh, with Rochford. Oh, what how on earth did they react to that? Because <laughs> that must have meant that everything came out, surely. Well, uh, their reaction you know, love them though I do, but you know, obviously it was like, well, look like you're sinning now. You're gone on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> You've backslided. Backslided. Backslided, and all that kind of thing. By the way, I got baptized when I was 19, so I got baptized while I was 18. I think I was 18, between 17, 19, somewhere around there. I got baptized anyway, but it was while I was doing. Uh, on tour with Bishop Francis's choir. Okay, so that was okay. Yeah, yeah that, that was fine. You, you were know in the I mean? church. Yeah, that was yeah, okay. Yeah, that was okay. So my dad was happy, mm. you know what I mean, kind of thing. But then afterwards, it was like getting signed to that record deal. You know, was like, them going to have you this and them going to have you that. And, you know, that kind of story. And when I fell sick, you know, my mum was like, you see, I'm blaming them because... And I was like, mum, you can't blame them because mm. sometimes this, these things happen, you know what I mean? So they were kind of a bit annoyed, mm. but... I think that's very calm. That's yeah, a very yeah, subtle yeah. way of saying yeah. how they must have really felt. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that. Yeah. And um, so then I was on my own. I didn't know what I was going to do. Never had a job before. 
you know what I mean? Went on the dole, you know, people would recognize me at the dole office and say, You're that guy, you're that guitarist from you know what I mean? How and I felt so shame. Huh? How did that feel when, when oh, you Oh man, I, I was a broken person. I in fact I gave up playing for a whole year after that. After I went to the dole office and that guy said what he said, I'll just stop playing. Wow. You know what I mean? And I went and I, you know, was doing odd jobs here, odd jobs there, that kind of thing. Did you hide and, um, your did you hide who you were did you try and I did yeah. back then yeah, yeah I did but you know a few people recognized me and I was trying to you know I denied it I walked in denial for a little while mm. you know what I mean and stuff and you know what I mean I just kept out of the, the the limelight or the sight of people so I didn't go anywhere I didn't do any you know I didn't do nothing I just stopped playing you know what I mean and I was hidden in the background you know what I mean and I was my dad had um a minicab office by then he was kind of co-sharing a business at mm. the time with another guy and so I just went to work for them you know what I mean as a controller and stuff like that shortly after that um Pastor Lorna Wade mm. decided to to find me yeah and she you know rang my mum's house and stuff like that and my mum would, would tell me you know this Lana where this woman keep calling here why she keep calling here to my mum <laughs> Eventually, she caught hold of me and she said, Michael, I need you to come and play for me. And I was like, look, I don't play guitar no more. And she goes, really? She goes, I don't believe you. And she'd phone every week, took a whole year. A year? Someone's calling <laughs> yeah. you every week at the same yeah, time? Yeah, but you have to remember, I was broken. Mm. So, you know, when you're broken, it, it, it's it's almost like you can't, you can't even hear what the person's saying. Because I couldn't hear her. Mm. I heard what she said, but I didn't hear her. And um, so for the year, um, she kept calling, and then eventually I said, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go." And I picked up my guitar. What made you change your mind? I don't know. She it was just something she said. She, I think she said something like, "I think you was here to to play the guitar, you know, Mike. You was put here to do that. So don't don't deny it. something like that." She said, "I can't remember something to that word." And I said, "Okay, I'm coming." Came to the rehearsal, and I was terrible. You know, I couldn't play what I could play. My hands was all over the place. I couldn't do anything. And she went, that was really good, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? She said, come to the gig. So I turned up at the gig and obviously Noel Robinson's there. You know, guitar glory. That time he was in the heights of his guitar. In. Andrew Smith is there, you know, height of his guitar. In. And then there's me and everybody comes in. They're like, Brand's here, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, why did I say yes? And that was one of the worst gigs I ever played. I was I was terrible. Yeah, you know, what you hadn't I mean? done it for a while. I hadn't done it for a while, and and I felt the pressure. They came and patted me on the back, but you know, some people were laughing and saying, "Boy, I thought he was better than that." You know, back in the day mm. and stuff. And I really felt broken again. But it was a different kind of broken this time. It was almost like a broken that sent me to God. You know what I mean? Because this time now, I decided to pick up my Bible. You know, I just started to read and then it was like the words became true to me, you know what I mean, in the in the Bible. And it was like I began to find my way back. It was almost like um, in that time, God said to me, I heard him again. He said, now nah, this is the time to practice. And I said, OK, I'm going to practice. So I, I started to do eight hours a day back then. And I would part of the eight hours a day was reading my Bible and just practicing. I was on the dole back then. You know so you I mean? really went back in eight yeah. hours. You went to work. Yeah, I went to work. Yeah, I was. Wow. Um, when I say I was a mess, I was a mess. Where were you living at the time? I were was you living with your I parents. Li- no, 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 no. I was living with my sister at the time. Mm. I was. Yeah, I was living with my sister, my older sister, and then things happened there, and then 
um, I had to move. My brother came round and he told me of a choir that was um, performing in Scotland and they needed a guitarist. So I said, oh, I'm not really bothered. So I said, no, come back, come, come and play. So I came down and um, in the choir was a friend of mine. Guess what his name was? Michael Brown. <laughs> <laughs> right? So this, this is how God works. So anyway, he, he turned around and he's playing the keyboards and he goes, yeah. He goes, Mikey, where do you live? So I said, I said, pardon me. He goes, would you like to come and live with me? And he's playing the keyboards, playing some nice chords. And I'm like, huh? And he goes, yeah, I've got a spare room at my house, you know. You can come and move in with me. And he just kept playing. And just I went, out of the blue, he said that? Just out of the blue. Wow. Right? So I went in and moved with him. Moved in with him, and I remember every morning he would get up at six o'clock. Yeah, we're gonna have prayer meeting. I was like, "What prayer meeting? Yeah, we're gonna pray six to seven, man." And I'd get up, and he started in my room. He'd go, "Father, in the name of Jesus," and he'd be praying in my room. You know what I mean? So you couldn't escape. I couldn't escape. <laughs> so at six to seven, he'd pray. You know what I mean? And then he'd go to work, and then um. Were you engaged in that at that point, or did you just do it because... No, he just did it. But were you engaged no, in No, I wasn't. That? Not at first, mm. you know what I mean? Because I didn't understand it, mm. you see what I'm saying? And then eventually I started to engage as the, the weeks went on and stuff. He was good because I didn't have a job at the time. And he, he, you know, he rented the room to me for free until I got a job. Yeah. And so I got a driving job back then and... um so I was able to, you know, give him something. But by then, my, my Christian walk now was getting stronger. Yeah. So he kind of led me back to the Lord kind of thing. And while he was praying, he said, you know what, Mikey, we should pray for a wife for you, you know. So I was praying. And at the same time, my wife was in this choir that my brother had um, introduced me to. So that's how I met my wife was in that choir. God spoke to me clearly and said, you know, she was my wife, Claudette. And... um God gave her a dream about my name. She didn't know who, she didn't really know who I was, but he gave her my name, Michael Brown. Mm -hmm. Said that was your husband. And I'm she didn't get you confused with the other Michael Brown? No, because he was getting married to somebody oh, else. Oh, right, anyway. okay. So it was the one that was left behind, the other yeah, <laughs> The one that was left behind me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's how that um, came. So between the two of them, they kind of got me back on the right path. On the right path. Wow. And then I had an encounter mm. um, about two years. This was 90, this was about 90 to 91. And I think 92 was when I had an encounter with God where God told me to give up everything. I spoke to Claudette and she said Were to you me, married by then? No, no, okay. we was... We were was, dating. Um, we were dating. Courting then. We was courting, <laughs> yes, courting. And, uh, yeah, so at the time uh, she said to me I should go and see a minister who was passing, travelling minister, I can't remember his name now. So I went to see him. He was passing through town and I went to see him and he said, well, if God's telling you to do that, you need to give up everything. So I said, yeah, but what does he mean by everything? So he said, what, what is close to your heart? So I said, oh, my guitar and music. So he said, that's what God wants you to give up. And I drove my car back and I was crying mm. in my, in, you know, I was bawling, you know, driving, you know, with the tears rolling down. I said, oh my God, how could God tell me to do that after telling me to practice and all that? So I went, I went to, I was living at my um, godmother's by then. 
And um, I'd moved from Michael Brown. He got married. So I moved out, went to my godmother's. And, um, yeah, so by then I was kind of, you know, bawling and everything. Got to her house and I had um, one amp and one guitar then. And I put it on the bed. But then I said, Lord, I'm giving you back these things. And God said, okay, open your Bible. And I began to read the word for about six months. Didn't touch my instrument. People were phoning. They said, Michael, I heard you playing now. Come and play. I said, no, I can't play. Why can't you play? No, I'm, I just can't play. So for six months, I read the Bible and just had my prayer time, went to church, you know, was working, you know, doing my little driving job. And that's what I did for six months. Didn't touch the guitar. Didn't you ever feel compelled to pick it up again? Oh, yeah. I just couldn't pick it up. I just saw it in the corner and I just couldn't touch it. You know what I mean? So I read my word. Did you feel then, angry? Resentful? No, I didn't at that time. I, I felt quite peaceful. Because in that time, in that six months, I was at a church and there was a pastor came through from Africa called Pastor Ali. Never forgot him. And I came to the back of the church. I was sitting at the back. He called my, my wife out now, Claudette. He called me out, so he said, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what God said to me. He said that he's going to take you across the nations. He's going to take you across the world. You're unique in what you do. And he said that he's going he's gonna to put you in some great places and, and bring you before great men and women. That's what he said to me. And I was like, at the time, I was like, okay, that's good. Because I'm reading my Bible. I'm not even playing my guitar, so I don't know how I'm going to be crossing the world and going with great people and doing this and that. You know, this was at that time. Mm. So at the end of the six months, literally the end, a friend of mine called Michael Ferguson called me and he said, look, he said, I need somebody to MD Jennifer Phillips. So be a music director. Yeah, for Jennifer Phillips. I was like... I can't, Mike, I can't do it. It's an emerging it. gospel scene. Yeah, right, mm. right, the emerging gospel scene. I'd like, Mike, I can't. He goes, look, man, I'm going to phone you tomorrow. Think about it. He phoned me tomorrow. I said, no, I can't. He phoned me the next day. I said, look, I said, God's got me on this band where I can't play music. He goes, what are you talking about? God's got you on this band. And he was really angry, you know what I mean? He put the phone down and God, God, God goes to me. God turned around and he said to me in the room, he goes, you see? That's what I wanted. I wanted you to seek me first, the kingdom of God and my righteousness, and then I will add all other things. I'm going to release you back into your music. I heard him clear like that. Wow. Picked up the phone. I said, all right, Mike, I'll, I'll be a RMD. And that's how I started back, wow. doing the Jennifer Phillips band. That was Mike Brown, renowned Christian guitarist, talking to me about his faith and journey into the world of music. Stay tuned to find out how he was asked to lead prayers every day for one of the pop industry's biggest names. The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Today's edition of The Profile was recorded before the death of George Michael. You're listening to The Profile with me, Charmaine Noble-McLean, and today's guest is Mike Brown, a renowned guitarist who's been sharing how, as a young Christian, he got involved in the music industry and ended up working with pop stars including Rochford and Gabrielle in the 1990s. He became ill and lost almost everything, only to find a renewed faith in God. Here he talks about working with one of the biggest names in the pop world, George Michael, and how God opened a door for him to share his faith with that superstar. 
Mike Brown playing a very famous rendition there of George Michael's Faith. So just before the break, you were telling us about this pastor who almost prophesied over you and said that you were going to be taken around the world, put in front of very important people, doing something that's mm. unique to you. That's and right. And I presume that this was it. This was your launch into the pop industry, I guess. My first gig back into it was with Gabrielle. Okay, yeah. yeah. And um, I'll tell you how that... After that finished... I said to my wife, by this time I was married now, just, just newly married. I said to my wife then, I said to her, you know, it'd be nice to work in the theatre, you know. So this was around Christmas time. So Christmas Day, I get a call from Basil Mead saying, um, hey, Mike, <laughs> I heard that you're, you're a very good guitarist from Noel Robinson. So is it possible we got a play coming on and call Mama on the sing? Would you like to be a part of it? I said, oh, yeah, I'd like to be. So he said, this is the, the, the thing, though. He said, you're going to have to, if you're working, you're going to have to give up your work. And, you, you know, it's about three months and you're going to have to do rehearsals, blah, 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 blah. So I said, OK, Basil, I'll come and do it. So when... Um, Started my morning thing in January. That was when and Shaka Khan led That's that, didn't right. she? The yes. first, the first part of that. That's right. She led the first part, and um, so did the Mama on the Sing. And while I was in Mama on the Sing, some amazing things began to happen to me because through Mama on the Sing, I met Prince, as in the Prince. Okay. When he had slave written on his face, yeah. he came down, and I met him personally. Uh, Stevie Wonder came up and sang with the cast, so I was able to play for him, you know, back then. Uh, Steps Ahead, Victor Wooten, all them guys, a great band. And then, obviously, Shaka herself. But the great thing about um, being in Mama on the Sing was that God had it so. By this time now, my, my, my faith in God and everything was really intact. Mm. You know, the great thing about God in that situation is that Shaka Khan approached me and said, I want you to play guitar for me for my band. And I was like, pardon me? I was like, you're the great Shaka Khan. She said, listen, man. She said, I want you to play guitar. She said, I, I need you to come to rehearsals in two weeks' time. And I phoned her up. Remember, I phoned her up and I said, I'm so sorry, Shaka Khan, but I'm not going to do your gig. I said, I don't think I'm good enough. She went, hey, man, what are you talking about? She goes, you know, you know who I am? I said, I know who you are. I said, but I don't think I can manage your gig. Anyway, she got... Luke and a few other people to phone me and, and, and turn my mind around to say, you can do this, you can do this. Anyway, I got to her rehearsals and I remember on the last day of her rehearsal when she came in to do the song, because she was doing a jazz set as well as her normal set, she came in and she, you know, hitting the songs one, one time and all that kind of thing. She turned around and she said to me, listen, she said, I need you to solo like your life depends on it. So I said, Solo like my life depends on it. She said, yeah, I want you to solo like your life. And I was like, what do you mean? You know, so she said, you, you see. So anyway, we got, got to the rehearsals. That was the last rehearsals and played the solo. She goes, right, I want you to solo now. So I played the solo and she goes, that was good, but I can't feel you. She goes, play it again. So I played it again and she goes, Every note was right, but I can't feel you. She goes, man, put some meat behind the thing. And I was like, what do you mean meat behind the thing? So anyway, come her show now. Um, it was the same thing. She said, listen, you, 
She said, you, I want, I want to see you out the front there. I want to see you soloing. I want, I want to feel you. I want, cause what happened in Roachford, I was very boisterous in my soloing, very upfront, but I had lost that. Mm-hmm. You know, I was still a good guitarist and I still could play well, but I had lost that edge of being, you know, that kind of, flair. you know, yeah, flair. And I'd lost that. And Shaka Khan, God used her to bring the flair back to me or into me. And um, I never forget on her gig, I played the solo man and, you know, I gave it all, I, got, I put everything into it. And she just went, that's what I'm talking about. And I went, okay, I get it now. The flair was missing from What did that way. feel like? It felt great, you know what I mean? Because it, it was almost like I had lost a part of myself on my journey. And then it was almost like she brought that part back, you know what I mean? Or, or God used her to remind me of that part. But you see, to have all those parts, I had to seek him first and the kingdom. So he broke me in pieces and then, back together yeah, again. and then put me back together again like the potter does. Then I, I did new colours and then... After, so new colours were a, yeah, a very contemporary gospel right. group, weren't yeah. they? They really broke the mould and did something different, didn't that's they? That's right, yeah. yeah. So I did new colours after that. So you were dipping between the Christian gospel scene and dipping your toe into the secular the, world yeah, with yeah, people but, like Shaka Khan and the Yeah, night. but it wasn't, it wasn't intentional. Mm. It wasn't something that I... I you said that seeking. I would, yeah, I didn't seek that. These things actually came to me. Through Mama, I, I kept getting get calls to do studio stuff, but I noticed it wasn't it wasn't gospel, it was secular. So I could, you know, hide and do it. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like no one could see me, I could do it. And then but eventually, obviously, what you do in secret must come out on the rooftop. Mm. And then I went into the reggae scene. So I did all the reggae artists, like um I went on tour with the Mighty Diamonds. Wow. You know what I mean? I'm a big yes. fan of reggae, so I know who they are. <laughs> yes, I went on tour with them. So me as the ballhead, as they call me, <laughs> the ballhead guitarist, that's what they used to call me, even though I had hair back then, because I didn't have no locks. Mm. You know what I mean? But they used to say, me, me like your flavour, you know? <laughs> so I went on tour with them, you know, with the big old split. Sometimes it got too much for me. I'd say, look, man, you know I'm a Christian, innit? it? they say, yeah, yeah, we forget, you know? And they'd take the split outside. So I always made it known. If something annoyed me in in the the popular pop scene or the reggae scene or whatever it is, I always mm. let people know, look, I'm a Christian, you know? I don't really do Indulging that. Indulging those yeah. things. Yeah. And they'd respect that and say, all right, then, well, let me... Take it over here. So that must have made life quite easy for you because you had you were able to find you were able to make clear mm. what you stood for. That's and right. Yeah. Instead of ridiculing you as you might think people would, they mm. actually well, I didn't. You. I'm, I'm a person. I don't care if you you want to do that. You're, you're cool because it doesn't bother me. Mm. You know what I mean. So I've always been my like you said earlier that maybe I'm maybe it's that stubbornness, it's a stubbornness that, but yeah. in a good sense, you know, you, in a you, good sense, yeah, because yeah. you have to stand up for what is right. Yeah. Anyway, so I've done that went in the reggae scene. Then after that, I did um, Bond. You know Bond, the classical girls? So I went on tour with them, three it, tours. An eclectic range of musical genres then. Yeah, you know what I mean? Wow. I didn't even know I could play classical rock until I met them. Until you did until it. Until I met them, yeah. And I got my, um, I got my guitar endorsement, which is Yamaha, mm. from through their tour. Because I had to play a, a piece called Betramuchus, which I had to read. I couldn't, I couldn't play it off the top of my head, mm. and um, so I played that piece with the violins, myself and acoustic, and Steve Walters on bass. 
And um, so we played that piece in, in Japan. We was in Japan Dome or something like that. And the Yamaha guy came up and he gave me a deal there. And then he said, man, I love the way you played that acoustic. You know, you got a f full endorsement, a world endorsement, they That's call a, it. That, isn't that a massive deal for a musician to be yeah, endorsed yeah. by an organisation like yeah. Yamaha? That's what I'm saying. So you're yeah. like big cheese, aren't you? <laughs> no, I'm little cheese. <laughs> <laughs> little cheese in a big world. So yeah, you're from, big cheese. Yeah, big cheese. Anyway, it's humble. <laughs> uh, yeah. After that, um, some of the management was the same management as George Michael. Now, coming back to how I ended up playing for George Michael was I did a session in 2000 for a guy called Rory, and it was a hip hop session. And I came in and I done the guitars. I was I was on my way to. A, a different session but I stopped by the studio and I did it really quickly and I just went and in 2003 George was looking for someone to do amazing they needed someone on guitar and he said I need somebody but I need the feel I need a certain type of feel and so Rory rang me up well rang Luke and then Luke got my number to him rang me up and he said listen I need you to come down to the studio to do a track for George Michael and I went ah you know, I laughed. I said, George Michael. I said, George, who? I said, you're having a laugh, mate, isn't it? He goes, no, George Michael, seriously. Went down the studio. It was 10 o'clock in the night. I was really tired. Done the track. Left. Two weeks later, I get a call from the management eh, saying, George Michael wants to meet me. I was like, pardon me? He goes, yeah, George Michael wants to meet you. So go down the studio, meet him. You know what I mean? He says, oh, my name's George. I said, George Michael, I said, oh, my name's Michael, said, right, come in, he goes, really love your feel on the guitar, but I didn't like the way they put it in the track, so we're going to start the track again, strip the track, just the drums, and he said, right, I want you to play these rhythms, so he sang the, sang the rhythms to me, and um, so I played them, and he said, oh, I like that, I like that, I like that, and I came back the next day, and he said, you know what? He said, you had me laughing the whole night, he said, he said, I want you in my band, so I said, really? So I said, yeah, I want you in my band. Then he asked me the question. He said to me, um, do you believe in anything? So I said, yeah, I believe in God, you know. So he said to me, what do I think about, you know, gay people? So I said, well, I said, at the end of the day, we're taught as Christians to love them. We can't judge them. You know what I mean? The, the Bible says one thing, but we, all we've got to do is love them. So he sat there and he said, I like that answer. I really like you. So I said, I want you on my tour. So I said, really? He said, yeah. What happened on the tour now was that he allowed me to pray. We had 110 gigs and I was able to pray before every gig. Who were you praying with? Him. He, 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 did, he stood there for 20 gigs with the rest of the band and I'd pray with everybody. Wow. Yeah. So. Did faith come up in conversations with him on a regular basis? Um, not really because they kind of kept us away in terms of the only time I was able to speak with him was when he called for the band mm -hmm. but most of the time people the management kind of kept us kind of away and, and that's normal you know what I'm saying mm -hmm. you know but you know I got to speak with him and stuff especially in the studio we'd have good great conversation you know what I mean when you reflect you know? back on parts of that that, that, that story there mm -hmm. where George Michael asks you, do you believe anything? I mean, it sounds mm. like he knew something that's different about you. Yeah. Didn't have asked that. And the fact that you, that you, he wanted you to pray mm. with him and the rest of the band before every gig. Mm. When you reflect back on that, what do you think God was doing there? I think that God was allowing me to sow a seed, you know. And, um, yeah, I just believe that 
sometimes you, you get prepared for things. And I think I was prepared for that moment. You know what I mean? I mean, I got condemned by people in the church and stuff like that. I'm not going to lie to you. Some people condemn me because of the type of person he was. But God doesn't care about the type of person he was. If he wants to save somebody or sow a seed, he really don't care what that person's doing. But he needs somebody to go out there and be the, the person that can sow that seed. And that's my job. My job is not to Bible bash him, but just to sow the seed. You know what I mean? And and I think as a as a gospel musician or or as a uh, person who's a Christian who works in that environment, sometimes we get it so wrong because we want to go on Bible bash and you know me ah you know God done and but sometimes God doesn't want that. He just wants simplicity. Yeah? You know what I mean? And that's the key to bringing someone to Christ. I mean, someone got saved on the tour. Yeah, That's somebody awesome. got saved on the tour and, you know, you know, God used me to bring the person to church. They gave their life to Christ and so did the person's wife and they're still a Christian today from that tour. Wow. You see what I'm saying? So had I not gone there, even though I was being condemned by the church and the church would probably listen to this and say, how could Michael Brown say that? But yes, I was condemned. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, at the end of the day, God used me to bring a soul to Christ. Yet still, the, the seed is still there. It doesn't matter what George does. You know what I mean? The seed is still there. Mm. You know what I mean? He knows what happens and next. That's right. And we, all we got to do is pray for him and make sure that he's well. You know what I mean? When, when you were going through that period of working in the, the pop industry and with mm. artists of different shades, I guess, and flavours, and, mm. you know, you had an amazing opportunity to work with such a variety of people. Mm. Did you ever feel, what am I doing here? Or did you have that resilience to know that God's brought me here for a reason? Well, Where, every, every 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 gig before I took it on back then, I used to I used to pray and ask the Lord if it's His will that I should be there, and if He said no, I'd leave it, no matter how much money they were giving me. And you, if He you'd said walk yes, have, and have yeah, you done I've, had, that? I've walked away before. Yeah, yeah, I've left people's gigs before. Yeah, and just said I've been busy. You know what I mean? But, you know, I normally pray and I ask him and he will give me an answer, you know what I mean, to say yes or no. I mean, it's different now because, you know what I mean, I, I, can, all, I can almost tell if I'm supposed to be doing something or not. So mm -hmm. sometimes I don't even check with him. I just know if it's the right. Yeah, I can discern. My discernment is very strong now, mm -hmm. you know. But back then it was, it was not that it wasn't strong, but when you're younger, certain experiences you don't experience yet. So you still have to check with the Lord, am I doing the right thing? Mm. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, he's just, he just said, yeah, go ahead. You why know what I mean? Why do you think, uh, I mean, I know you're not just a gospel musician, clearly mm. not. You're able to lend your hand to all sorts of music. But the pop industry seems to have a love of gospel. Mm. And I watch TV and recognise a number of musicians, singers, mm. who I know are church-going people. Mm. What is that affinity? What is that? What, why is it that the that gospel people who carry the cross, people who love Jesus, why why are they um, so attractive to the pop industry? Why do you think that is? Do you mean the people who love Jesus, or because so, I wasn't? I, I talking for myself. I that that 
industry never attract me. No, what I mean you know is, I mean? so, okay. so as oh, a you secular mean, oh, artist... Oh, you mean as a secular artist? Yeah. Want, Why is well, it they want the anointing. The... They want what... They, you but see, do, what do God, they know that, though? They don't know that, but they just want what, what God has because God has the best thing. So you see it, what I'm saying? So, so, and Satan knows that the best music is in God's house because you have to remember Satan was with God in the heavenlies. So because he was with God in the heavenlies and he was all music, it's obvious when he was a fallen angel now, he's in control of the music industry, but he knows that there are some some cherubs in the God's house that he could do it to make himself millions. So he will draw them out of God's house put them in this, put them in that, make millions, but they won't make millions. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Because the, 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 the ethos of why they're there, some of them is not even sure why they're there because they just look at it as a job. Right, but as you opposed see, to a ministry, there's as a As a purpose. ministry, that's right. right, there's a purpose. So and I'm not saying everybody, but no. I'm just saying some. Is it a dangerous place? For a Christian it, to it, be, it can be, or is it actually a harvesting place? No, a place it, of harvest? it, it can be a dangerous place, and it can be a harvesting place. It depends on the Christian who has I mean. decided to make it a harvesting place. You see what I'm saying? Because not everybody is going to step out there to make it a harvesting place. You know what I mean? And and there's ways of carrying yourself and conducting yourself which it will be pleasing to everybody. Now, it depends on that individual relationship with God that will actually determine whether that place is fruitful for that individual or not. And I'm not talking about money because everybody can get money out mm, there mm. in that industry. But fruitfulness is sowing the seed, being the good steward over what God has given you, being able to be the encourager, you know what I mean? Somebody who doesn't condemn because last night you saw him drunk on the floor. You know what I'm saying? He could be drunk on the floor because at home could be a mess. You know what I'm saying? But you don't condemn him. You don't judge him. You know, you go and pick him up, dust him off and say, you know what, brother? It's going to be all right. You know, what's the matter? You know what I mean? You sit down, you have a conversation because that person might need to just talk and let whatever off the chair. Man, I want to do this to 